Hi there, friends. Today, we're beginning to delve into 1 Corinthians 13. Many people say that this is their favorite chapter in the Bible. Some say that it is the greatest and deepest thing that Paul ever wrote. Get your Bible and let's begin to mine the gold in this gem together. God has given us what some people call the great love chapter. If you sit down and read through all of the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, then chapter 13 kind of seems like a breath of fresh air as you're reading through it. Perhaps you remember from our previous lessons that the church at Corinth was both a troubled and a troubling church. In the letter, Paul is dealing with their immorality and their misconduct and personal failures to follow uh, that don't follow uh, God's principle for blessing. And so Paul has tackled the issue and he goes issue after issue in chapters 1 through 12. And then he begins again in chapter 14, reasoning through problem after problem and explaining and warning all the way to the end of the letter. But all of a sudden, like breaking through heavy clouds on an airline flight. There's this moment of dramatic sunshine. And so right in the middle of 1 Corinthians, we're given this wonderful chapter. It is a stunning gem. And so even though it's easy to take this chapter out and memorize it and quote it and print it and frame it on the wall, and all of that's wonderful, but we've got to study its context. Why did Paul even say this? And so that is what is shown to us in the power of it when we understand the context of it. And it shows us what our love lives really need to be like. Now remember that in context then. Chapter 13 is in the middle section of scripture that Paul is writing about spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, he talks about God granting spiritual gifts to his body, to the church. And he gives a gift to every believer once that believer, when at the moment that believer is saved. And so God has endowed the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ worldwide with gifts that are to be used to build up that body, to edify that body of Jesus Christ and to glorify God. They're given for those two things. Then in chapter 14, Paul teaches the proper use of the gifts. He talks about how to do it and how not to do it. And so between chapters 12 and chapters 14, we have chapter 13. So Paul has given the Corinthians instructions that they are to be content as individuals with the gifts that God has given them. They're not to feel inadequate or less than because they don't have the same gift as another person. And they were having trouble in this church with people envying one another's gifts. Uh, they all wanted a showy gift, a showy gift. And so on the other hand, if they do have a showy gift, then they were proud and boastful and self-seeking. And so Paul said they were coveting 
the showy gifts. And Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way, a better way. And so what do we mean by showy gifts? Well, God has given some gifts that are very visible. Uh, there are speaking gifts and there are service gifts. That's the way Peter um, organizes gifts of the Spirit. And so chapter 12 teaches us that there are varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, and varieties of effects, but all the same God. They're all about him, they come from him, and they're to be used for him. So the gifts are given for the common good. That is very clear in scripture. Now, a speaking gift would be one where a person is in front of people a lot, um, maybe getting a lot of attention, uh, maybe have their picture on a poster or something. It's a very visible gift. And then a service gift could be like um, a support beam in this building. You may never see it, but woe unto you if it is not there. So some are very visible and no, somebody, you know, you don't go spend time applauding and showing pictures of a beam in a wall of a, of a supporting gift. But there was all of this controversy in the church because so many of the people wanted the ones that you see, the ones that were showy. And so Paul named some gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but he points out that the Corinthians were coveting those gifts that were visible and showy. And they were, if they had the gift, they were proudly lording over other, others in the, in the body that had what they thought were lesser gifts. Now God says one is not better than the other. One is not more important than the other. You need all of them. It's just like your car. You need the steering wheel as much as you need the tires, right? So they're all important. It takes all of them to function in the body of Christ. But they had the idea that certain gifts, especially these showy gifts, carried some kind of spiritual superiority. They thought if you had a showy gift that you were more spiritual than the other people. And so Paul had said that the Corinthian church had all the gifts. It was a church that was filled with resources. He says early on in the book that they were lacking in nothing. And so it was an active church. A lot was going on, but they were selfish, self-seeking, and they were operating in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Well, the Corinthians had the gifts of the spirit, but they didn't have the fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit of the spirit? Well, Galatians chapter five, verse 22 tells us. He lists love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Now, without the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit function in the flesh. Well, how do you get the fruit of the spirit? You get it by walking with the spirit, by growing in the spirit. And so you can have gifts and not have fruit. And so what happens is the gifts then become fleshly gifts. They become selfish, flesh oriented, and you've got the fruit of the spirit hanging over here, not growing because the person is not following the Holy Spirit. So fruit of the spirit comes 
better and better and better. Their fruit grows more and more as we walk with the spirit, as we grow in the spirit. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? It means to walk in obedience to the commands of Christ. And so these Corinthians were wanting gifts that were showy so that they could prove to everybody that they were spiritual. And so here comes Paul. And he basically he's saying, uh-uh, no, 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 no. That's not the way people are going to know that you're spiritual. I'm going to show you a way that is so much better. And he calls it a more excellent way. Now, with that context in mind, let's read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if, some translations say though, they're both okay, but if seems to be a bit better. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So there were the Corinthians. They were prophesying. They were speaking in languages. They were supposedly performing miracles, all of those things that were showy. The problem was that there was no love. And that means that there was no fruit of the spirit, which means that the spirit wasn't operating. So this is all in the flesh. And when the spirit is not operating, the flesh is one or the other. So God does not want us doing our own thing in our own power. And I want to go so far as to say God doesn't want us doing our own thing as his children in our own power and putting his name with it. So that's what's happening here. And people were confused. The community was confused. The church was in chaos. Because why? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Peace, joy, and love. Now, let's look at each verse here. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm become a go noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, remember that the Greek word here translated love is the word agape, A-G-A-P-E. And that is not a romantic love or a friendly love. It is God's love. It is the kind of love that God has for us. It is the kind of love that is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit because he dwells in us at the moment that we're saved. Well, it is unconditional love. It is the love that brought Jesus to the cross to die for sinners. It is the love that Jesus tells us to love your enemies. So that's the kind of love God has. And it is the kind of love that characterizes God himself. John 3.16 is a picture of it. You know the verse. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him 
would have eternal life. So that's the picture of God's love. So in these first three verses, there are seven things that are listed as unprofitable, as valueless without agape. So they are religious behaviors that seemed fine to the Corinthians. I'm going to tell you, they seem fine to many of us. We think they're good things. We, we are impressed with these things. But when we look at verse 1, we notice that Paul uses the word I. Now that is a good thing. If I speak or though I speak. And so that's kind of good because he is identifying with the believers. And he's saying, I could do this. We can all fall into this. And so in chapter 14 and verse 18, he said, I thank my God, I speak with languages more than you all. Now, the literal interpretation, the literal translation of the word tongues is languages. If you do a word study on that word, whenever you see it, it can be translated, should be translated probably languages. So he's saying, I, just like you, can do it without love. I can do this. I can fall into this. We all can fall into this. And so then he goes on and says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Now people get carried away with what is the language of angels? Well, the word in the original language again is languages with the languages of angels. Um, this is the only place this is referred to in scripture. The gift of languages in scripture is God giving the supernatural ability to speak a language that you never learned. It is for the purpose of the building up of the body of Christ, giving out the gospel and of glorifying God. That is very clear in Acts chapter two at Pentecost, when every person there, and there were just hosts of different kinds of languages there, people from different areas who spoke different languages. And the miracle was that they, every one of them heard the message in his or her own language. And they were being told by people who had never learned their language. And so the message was the wonderful works of God. So they are glorifying God. They're building up the body. And it is the same thing throughout the book of Acts. It was a true language that could be understood and it gave God's message. It is consistent in scripture. Now, what about the languages of angels? Well, the languages of angels is not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. You don't find that phrase anywhere else. And so we do have biblical record of angels speaking, don't we? Um, in Genesis chapter 18, an angel of the Lord, or maybe it says the angel of the Lord, spoke to Abraham and Sarah, promising them a son. Remember the story? Sarah laughed. And then in Matthew chapter 1, an angel appeared and spoke to Joseph. And he says, look, you're going to name this son Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 28, a, an angel spoke to the women at the empty tomb. In Luke chapter 1, Gabriel spoke to Zacharias, telling him that Elizabeth would have a son. Gabriel was he big chief angel, still is. Luke chapter 2, an angel spoke to the shepherds, telling them that the Savior had been born. In Luke chapter 1, Gabriel again had spoken to the Virgin Mary, telling her that she would conceive Jesus. So we know that angels speak. 
<clears throat> they communicate. But whenever they spoke, each one of these people understood what they were saying. They were speaking their language. So it's for the purpose of communicating a message from God for a purpose. Now, he says, if I might speak with tongues of men and of angels, if I go that far, but do not have love, I am become, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, in verses two and three, there are what are called subjective verbs. And that indicates that what he's doing here is giving us a hypothetical situation. That's why the word if is important. If this were to happen, hypothetically. And so that helps us to know the sense of it. So Paul is basically saying, even if you could speak languages of all people, and even if languages did come from angels and you could speak the eloquence of angels, and even if you could do all of that without love, it's a bunch of noise. What'd he say? Clanging cymbals noisy gongs. Now, remember that the gift of tongues or the gift of languages was a sought after gift that made the Corinthians proud. They were misusing the gift. They were misunderstanding the gift and the purpose of it. But in their society, smashing gongs and clanging cymbals and blaring trumpets were accompanying, were accompanying, were accompaniment for the rights honoring false gods. They would honor pagan gods with clanging cymbals and blaring trumpets and smashing gongs. So he says, you know what? When you're doing this without love, you might as well be worshiping a pagan god. Now remember, these are believers. Paul called them saints, chapter one. Don't get away from that. These are believers, understanding too that we as saints, as believers also can fall into this. And that's why God has given us his word. He's given us gifts to understand so that the body of Christ can understand his word and be built up. So he says, if I do that, I'm nothing but noise. Verse two. And if I have the gift of, let me see. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, hypothetical. Is it possible for anybody to understand all mysteries and to know every single fact about everything in the universe. No. Well, what if I had faith to say to a mountain, remove, and it would just go away? Faith to the max. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if I have all faith. Did you see the word all, all the way through that verse? No, all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love I am nothing what about prophecy the gift of prophecy is the power to declare God's truth to man 
It is to relay God's word. And scripture is very clear that if you have that gift, if you speak any of these gifts, it needs to be the utterance of God. It's got to come from God. It's not something you've come up with. It's not your opinion. It is from God. And so prophecy and knowledge and faith. What if I have all prophecy? What if I have know all the mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faiths and I can speak to mountains and they will move and I don't have love I'm nothing I'm nothing what about verse 3 we see in verse 3 the extreme limits of self-sacrifice look what he says if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. Now, we don't have time to go into this, but what that says in the original language is if you took everything you have and bit by bit spent all of your life giving it away. That's what he's talking about. And so this is extravagant giving. And the rabbis taught that you only needed to give, I think it was 20%. So this is way beyond what they ever thought about giving away. And he says, if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor. And if I deliver my body to be burned, a martyr, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Extreme limits of self-sacrifice, giving away all of my goods, allowing my body to be martyred. That was, let's call it extreme benevolence. But benevolence without love is valueless. All of that for no good. All of that for nothing. You know, a great deal of charity is done in our culture. My guess is we all have done it at some time or another, but we give sometimes for self-satisfaction, just makes us feel better. Maybe we give to ease our conscience. Well, if I give them some money, you know, I know I haven't been to church in three weeks, but I'll send them a check. Okay. So sometimes giving will ease my conscience or sometimes I give for tax breaks. There are people who end of the year giving, this is the thing. They start giving it away so that they can take it off of their taxes. It profiteth me in God's table before the Lord. It profiteth me nothing. Absolutely nothing. Say the word nothing what is nothing nothing not even a little something zero now in verse one nothing is implied he doesn't use the word nothing he says i'm become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and so that's nothing then in verse two he says i am nothing and in verse 3, he says, it profiteth me nothing. What kind of love is this? What's he talking about? It's agape love. It is God's love. And this is God's thing here. And so all of the things that can seem to us to be so fine, so religious, so spiritual when they all come together, if they're not done with agape, to God they are nothing. Nothing. A loveless person 
produces nothing eternal, is nothing eternal, and gains nothing eternal. This is all about the difference between serving God and serving man or self. If I want to perform a gift just because um, it makes me feel good and people are impressed, I just, in my mind, see God going, ugh. Nothing. It means nothing eternal for us in the kingdom. It means nothing for anybody else eternal in the kingdom. So what kind of love is this? It is God's love. It is self-giving love. It is always for the benefit of the other person and the glory of God. That's what agape love is. It's for the well-being of others. And if that is not central to my religious performances, nothing. Just write down the word, nothing. So this love doesn't start with I. Agape love doesn't start with I. Agape love starts with you. And that's the way God works. That's who he is. That's his character. God's love brings eternal meaning and eternal significance to everybody. Everything that he wants to use. You know, religious or spiritual practices have no value without God's love. It brings me to that place in my own heart where I have to question, why do I go to church? Why do I teach? Why do I give? What is my motive? What is really in my heart? Now understand that we have agape love. It is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit the moment we are born again, the moment that we are saved. So it's there. It's there to be used. Now the Corinthians, bless their hearts, they did not have a Bible. They did not have the New Testament. And so they're ignorant and this shows us, we have a good picture here of what the flesh will do to us spiritually when we don't have the Word of God. And so Paul is writing, and so God uses these occurrences to give us the New Testament so that we would know better. And this is the Word of the Lord. And so he goes on and he says, you know what? I don't want you to be going through all of this and it means nothing. It means nothing to the people around you. It means nothing to building up the church. It means nothing to God. If you're going to do something, add love to this. And what happens when you add love to it? It becomes powerful. It becomes God's power. God's power working through the Holy Spirit who is set free to do His thing. And because He too is agape love. It is always going to be for the benefit, for the building up of the others. That's where it is. Now, what does this love look like? How do we do this? How do we get to that place? What, what are the characteristics of this love? Next week, we'll go through the next verses. God bless you and be checking on 
How's Your Love Life?